phenomenal family of world changers. So good to see you. We have been starting our Acts series, and you would have started in your connect groups. Uh, if you are not in a connect group, go to our info table and get into one. Uh, connect groups are the life of this church where you make friends and you drink coffee. And what else do we do? Oh, yeah, we go through the Word. Uh, <laughs> we, do, we help to disciple each other. And connect groups really are getting people in our lives like the early church met from, from house to house. And Lord, I just want to bless this church. I want to bless every person here. I thank you that we're not just reading about what you did in the Acts, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit continue in us and through us. And we're asking, Lord, would you help us become the church you're coming back for? A church that moves in greater anointing, greater authority, greater power than the church in the book of Acts. Because you said that you would come back for a glorious church. And we want to be a part of that. And so, Lord, would you remove veils? Would you remove wrong ways of thinking? Would you remove fear that we would rise up and say, Jesus, we want to be your disciples. We want to live like you lived. We want to love like you loved. And we want to think like you think in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I will let you into something that, uh, you know, you may not know about me and my upbringing. Uh, firstly, I was born at an early age, which, which is why I look so young. But you know, from an early age, those of you, I don't know how many of you might have known my father. I know Yolandi, you, uh, part of our family. And, but, but my father was an absolute genius. He was a, a classified genius and an engineer of note. His, from the time I was two, it was, we never get anyone to do anything for us that we can do ourselves. How many of you grew up in a home like that? Okay, I'll see those hands. We'll have a prayer session afterwards. But I, so, so we did everything, and, and I remember as a seven-year-old walking into his garage, which was kind of like a power tool display center. I mean, when Carol married me and walked into the garage, she was just like, I've never seen anything like this. Not so, darling. And then she expected the same from me and has been disappointed ever since. But his garage had power tools that had power tools. It was amazing. And, and I grew up where every Saturday we were doing stuff and uh, we would take car engines apart just for the fun of it and put them back together. And, and I would watch my father with his power tools and the chainsaw and the power drill. I'm like, Dad, can I do it? Dad, can I? And it was always like, son, you're too young. You're, too, you're not ready. You're too young. And, and I was always just, I want power tools. And one day he sat me down and he said to me, son, I want you to know something. Today you are watching me use all these power tools. And then as you get older, you will help me with the power tools. And eventually you will be able to use them yourself. He said, a day will come when every power tool you see in this garage, you will be able to use whenever you want. I was like, oh. And then he said, and one day, son, you will have power tools like this all of your own. Now, that was like a prophecy that impacted my life. I clung on to that. I prayed for years for that day, and it did finally arrive. And today I want to tell you about something very similar in the lives of Israel and the disciples. 
Because although I only had to wait about eight years from the time my father said that to me, the Israelites had been waiting 800 years for a promise that was made through a prophet called Joel. If you haven't heard of Joel, it doesn't matter, but it is important to know what he said. And so when we look at what they'd been waiting for and anticipating, not only had the whole of Israel been waiting for this, but the disciples hanging around Jesus. Jesus was working with some power tools. Would you agree? Like no one was like, how do you do that? Can I play with that too? Can I also heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead? We also want power tools. And Jesus looked at them and said, a day will come. Now you are watching me. A day will come when you too shall use my tools. But a day will come when you will all have all the tools at your disposal. You see, Acts, as Carol introduced, shows us what happens to the world when we dare to follow Jesus. And there's more to just believe in than there is to follow in. So many believers in the world, not a whole lot of disciples. Would you agree? A lot of believers, a lot of Christians. And yet, most of us, in our early lives or in certain ways or people you know, maybe it's no one in here, but certainly I was like this for a while. I just added Jesus to my life so I could go to heaven. Okay, Jesus, would you be my savior? Thank you. Forgive me. Roy, thanks very much. I'll see you when I die or when you come back. And many, many people who call themselves believers or Christians, like Carol said last week, they're either just intellectual or cultural Christians. We grew up like that. You know, we be, we're not Muslim, so we must be Christian. Or we've just added Jesus to our lives, but we're not disciples. What do disciples do? Disciples follow. Disciples leave behind their old life. What did the disciples do that Jesus called? They dropped their fishing nets. They left their boats. They left everything that they were doing and said, from now on, I only do what Jesus tells me to do. From now on, I only do what Jesus does. That's what followers do. And so when we talk about this, Carol shared this interesting contradiction in terms. Remember the verse we quote so often in, in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Right? You've all heard this. Okay, you could probably say the rest of it quite easily. And then he said, but wait, don't go. Stay. Now, if you were a disciple, you would have gotten used to Jesus saying things that sometimes you weren't sure what to do. And so it's, well, we need to go, but we need to stay. Uh, is it go or stay? I can see the disciples arguing over who had the greatest revelation. Was it go or was it stay? But eventually they decided, they realized, got the revelation that in order to go, they needed to stay. Because he clarified, stay and wait until you have received the promise of my father. Like I received the promise of my father, they were about to receive a whole lot more power tools than I got from my dad. Of course, I've built up on them, and you're welcome to come and look at them at any time. But today, I want to talk about the great outpouring, the start of this book of Acts, because something changes from the time where the Old Testament intersects with the New Testament, where Jesus demonstrates something, but on this particular day, Jesus takes it from spectator to participator. 
And he says to his disciples, it's better for you that I go. But Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, we think that you should just stay. We think maybe you should destroy the Roman Empire, make yourself king, and we'll all sit next to you and rule and reign the world with you. What do you think, Jesus? So much so that John and James got their mom to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know when you set up your throne, could my two sons be the ones next? I mean, it was, they argued about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus then says, bye. Jesus, you can't go. It's better that I go. Because if I go, you can get the Holy Spirit. And so we see them. They're in this upper room, and they wait in for this promise. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And the Bible tells us there's now 120 disciples in this upper room. Why are they in this one place, and why are the doors locked? Because they're terrified that, like Jesus, the Jews will come and kill them. Bold, brave, courageous disciples. They've also had some discussions around, maybe we should go back to fishing. Bold, courageous, committed Christians. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all hiding in this one place, but they are praying. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty power to a rushing wind. It filled the entire house and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, can you imagine 120 people all of a sudden filled with the Holy Spirit, which gives them boldness, gives them gifts, sort of suddenly takes these terrified disciples and turns them into bold preachers, takes Peter, who had just recently denied Jesus, and turns him into this powerful preacher, and they spill out of this upper room into the square center of Jerusalem, which happens to be the time of Pentecost. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but let me explain Every single Jew from all over the world would travel from nations where they were, and they had been scattered to virtually every nation. They had learned the languages of all of these nations. They all came to Jerusalem. They traveled, some of them, for weeks to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And there were so many languages there that it says each of the disciples was speaking a language that a part of each of these travelers could understand. And they heard the gospel being preached in their own language. But it was chaotic. I don't know if you were raised in a traditional church like me. Holy Spirit, please don't get chaotic. How many of you, you know, you've heard that verse often that was quoted to me a lot. You know that God does everything in an ordered manner. And, and yet, as I grew more and more in the Holy Spirit, he did chaotic things. I had to remind him. Jesus, this is not ordered. Some of this is chaotic. Leading a group of youth after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and prayed for them, and we were stuck on the floor and could not stop laughing. This was in 1984. Now, some of you are like, I, there are people who were, came from the 80s. My gosh. This was long before Toronto outpour, and we are rolling around laughing on the floor, and I'm thinking, if the pastor walks in now, the reverend, we're all in trouble. But there was chaos so much so that they said, these men are drunk. So Peter stands up in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. He says, guys, these men are not drunk. Because these people, by the way, it was men and women. 
as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken, uttered through the prophet Joel. Now here's the prophecy. Are you all paying attention? And in the last days, say last days. Thank you, just checking. It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I'm working on it. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke sounds like a movie. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes. That great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think we can give the Lord a hand for that prophecy. And the fact that it's no longer just a prophecy. It was coming to pass right there. Peter said, they're not drunk. This is what Joel prophesied. It's happening right here. Right now. Now, I want to just clarify something that Peter refers to. And that Joel refers to is this question of the last days. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a church where the last days in our environment was these, these few years before Jesus returned in power. And it was, it was characterized by tribulation, terrifying events, and then Jesus would come and rescue us. I don't know how many of you were raised in that. Uh, we were constantly theorizing about whether we are now officially in the last days or not. But have you noticed that both Joel and Peter, when he says it, referred to two days. And in the last days and the day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day. See, until I got exposed to sound theology, if you truly study your Bible and listen to any sound theologian, you will understand that there are two days spoken of in Scripture. Well, a lot more than two days in the last days, but the last days and the last day. The last day is a judgment day. The last days is God experiencing mercy and pouring out His heart on all people. There's no judgment. He's not judging right now. He's opening His arms and saying, come to me, I will have mercy on you. The last day, what happens? Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Yes, you know, sometimes when we get confused between the last days and the last day, like my Christian upbringing did early on until we all discovered the, what the Bible really said, is it leads to a whole lot of panic and it leads to a whole lot of sensationalism and quite a few crazy movies. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but friends, the Bible clearly starts this by saying, and in the last days it shall be. And Peter says, that is happening now. You see, the Bible clearly states that the last days started from the time that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and the last days shall continue until he returns. So are we in the last days, church? Yes, and we have been for over 2,000 years. Can we clarify that? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. If you have questions, well, raise them in your connect group and we'll take it from there. 
So friends, if we look at this, we will see that the last days are not primarily char characterized by trials and terrifying events, but an outpouring of His Holy Spirit, an outpouring of fire, salvation, prophecy being poured out, signs and wonders. The last day, the Bible talks about, that's when we will see some very amazing, magnificent, or inspiring wow stuff. And I'll tell you what, all of us, when Jesus comes back, we don't have to be worried about a thing. We can just go, wow. And then what will we do? We'll say it backwards. And we'll go, wow. But if we look at these last days that I want to talk about, I'm going to start with, well, I'm going to look today at just three quick characteristics of what Joel says the last days are characterized by. They're not characterized by craziness going on in the world. That has always been and always will be, just by the way. There were probably more wars before Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So we're not like, oh, there's a war. Jesus, it must be the last days. There's always going to be war. There's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be earthquakes. There's always going to be turmoil. The kingdom of God continues to expand despite any of these things. And we need to know that the first thing that the last days is concluded by when Joel prophesies is that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I shared this in Ignition last week. So many people don't want to come to church because they say it's too judgmental. Was Jesus judgmental? There will be a day of judgment. But it says, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. We all know that verse. But what does it say in John 3.17? For God had not sent His Son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Who hung out with Jesus? The religious or the sinners? So if we're going to be a Jesus church, then we should welcome prostitutes, sinners. We, because how else will they know if they don't come into a friendly environment? Where we're not judging you. We just want you to walk. We were all. <laughs> how many of you? <laughs> Okay, can I just see a raise of big toes? You know? How many of you would have been classified as a sinner hanging around with Jesus in their day? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, 14, Jesus says this. He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So everyone's going, oh, there's all these horrible things going on. The end must be near. No, actually, the Bible says the end will come when this gospel has been preached everywhere throughout the world that all people have seen and heard it. So we just like hanging in there. Oh, Jesus, it's getting bad. Please come rescue us, save us. Or we're like, man, the world's getting worse, but the church is getting more glorious. We're going to rule and reign. Jesus did not say, be preoccupied with my coming. He said, occupy till I come. I've been around a lot of Christians who are so preoccupied with the second coming that they don't put their boots on. They still got their wings on waiting. What did Jesus say? We read right at the beginning of the service. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Do you notice that word starts with a but? A big but. I'm not looking at any. I'm not judging. Why does it say but? Because the disciples coming back for, everyone's going to be doing it. The kingdom of God is always expanding. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, gosh, you know, look at, look at how Islam's taking over places and, and, you know, Muslims and Eastern religion. Do you know what is the fastest growing faith movement in the world? Carol has shared this a number of times. There are traditional churches around the world that are shutting down and people are saying, oh, the church is shutting. No, actually, the evangelical, spirit-filled church, evangelical, spiritual, spirit-filled Christianity is the fastest growing in the world by far. Growing at a faster rate than the population of the world. How does that end? It ends with billions of souls being saved before Jesus comes back. That's the picture we should be dwelling on. So what does it say? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there are people out there who haven't heard about him. Romans 10, don't go Roman over there. I'll bring it up for you. So they're going to call on the name of the Lord, but how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear unless someone proclaims the gospel to them? You see, it's not just going to happen. Salvation's not just going to appear. He's not going to send angels. But he sends you and me. You will be my witnesses in Johannesburg, Kriestorp, Hillbrow, maybe even Durban, maybe the ends of the earth, you. And when I first got told that I need to go and share the gospel, I was terrified. How many of you, you know, you're like, that was terrifying. I think because in those days, it was like you had to be like Peter. You had to stand up on a tall statue in the middle of the square and start shouting at everyone. No, that's not all of us are that. Do you know how the early church won over the world? By being Jesus to them. They invited them into their homes. They went out into the communities and served those communities. When there was a plague throughout the Roman Empire, people were dying like, well, flies. They were dying. Only dying flies. They were dying like flying flies. Dying flies. Gosh, flying dies. The Romans were like, we're not touching this. We're not going near this. It was the Christians who went in, looked after them, buried their dead. And the Romans were like, we don't like the teaching because they don't acknowledge Caesar as Lord. They have some other Lord. But look what they're doing in our communities. They won them over by just being friends, getting into their homes. Some of them would go and be servants in homes to win over the elite. How many of you can just be a friend? Start a conversation. Ask them questions. Listen to their response and from what they tell you tell them your story 
Because Jesus said, you shall be my preachers in Jerusalem or my witnesses. Every one of you can be a witness. Guys, listen, I don't, I don't know everything in the Bible. I maybe don't know the answer to every question. What I can tell you is what Jesus did for me. And so when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I felt a boldness come upon me that changed me. And this outpouring, let me say this, in the days of Jesus, in the days that Peter stood up and proclaimed this, there was an elite group who were the only ones allowed to be in the ministry. They were the only ones allowed to represent people to God and God to the people. They were the only ones who understood the scriptures. A very elite group of priests and scabs and parasites, uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees. And there were, there were no women allowed. There were no children allowed. No laymen, no laborers. This was elite and they were wealthy and they were respected. Jesus turned this on its head. I will pour out my spirit on how many of you brought some flesh with you today? We are all flesh in this place. Not just your sons, but your daughters Amen. shall prophesy. In the time that they proclaimed this, women were seen as nothing. Women were not believed. How did Jesus turn this on its head? Who did Jesus appear to first? Women. Why is this significant? Because anyone who says that the disciples just wrote this and stole his body, he would have appeared to men because women were considered unfaithful witnesses. You can't believe the witness of a woman. So when the women go to the disciples and say, we saw Jesus risen from the dead, what does it say? They didn't believe them. Even the disciples. Can you see God's changing things? Everywhere the gospel goes in the world, women are set free. Children are being raised up and respected. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants, female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He gave it to everyone. He took a child. When the disciples acted in the culture and said, take your children away when they were bringing their children to Jesus to be prayed for. Keep the children away from the master. Jesus said, hey. Children, come here. Disciples, you let the children come to me. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he takes a little child and he says, Guys, unless you become like this little one, you're not going to enter the kingdom. Just let that sink in. The disciples were not respected by the Jews for a large reason is that they weren't priests, they weren't scabs or parasites or rabbis. They were uneducated laymen. So Peter and John go to the temple, and there's a layman at the temple. Everyone knows he's lame. They perform a miracle, and they get arrested because they proclaim in the name of Jesus. And they look at them, and they say, Who are you to proclaim this name? But what does the Bible say? I, I don't have it up there. I wrote it down this morning because God only gave it to me this morning. But it says this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, not like us. They marveled. It was a Marvel movie. And all they could take note of was that these men had been with Jesus. Does it matter if you're educated or not? Does it matter whether you are ordinary or not? Does it matter who your parents are, what car you drive, or if you drive a car? Does it matter just how good you are, just about anything? Have you been with Jesus, and are you filled with His Spirit? Hey, that's it. Don't buy into the lie that ministry is for some group of called and trained individuals in some kind of professional ministry role. Friends, the true front lines are where you go every single day into your communities and society. Uh, Chris preached, thank you, Chris, when I had to go and visit my mother. Chris preached this amazing word, every member minister. Do you remember it? Every member minister. You have come, some of you, out of churches we know the pastor does everything. <gasps> Someone's sick, take them to the pastor. No, someone's sick, you've got the same Holy Spirit as the pastor. And then he said he'll confirm through signs and wonders. Oh, I, I forgot to press this slide. Every member, an empowered minister, every generation, every gender, every job, there is nothing that can disqualify you. Job or no job. I, I hope you notice that although it's not alliteration, they all start with the soft G sound. Just wanted to point that out. For Jesus. But to help us do this, he said, I'm going to confirm my word. I'm going to confirm the gospel through signs and wonders. And, and I'm closing with this. I just want you to I just want you to understand, when you read the book of Acts, if you had to read the book of Acts on some island and then get rescued and come back and say, where is the church? And you walked into church, how many of you would be disappointed? Where's, where, where's the church that did all these things? Friends, we are that church. And when we look at the Acts of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit in Acts, it tells us in Acts 5, I've just got a few scriptures there, I'm not going to put them up, I'm just going to tell you about them. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and with one accord the believers gathered together. Who did the signs and wonders initially? The apostles. Yet more and more believers were brought to the Lord, large numbers of both men and women, large men and women. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Jesus, would you please just help me to get that car I'm trusting for? How about we start praying big prayers, help us to be the church you're coming back for? Peter's shadow. Crowds gathered. They brought the sick, those tormented by demons. All of them were healed. They're praying in the upper room. The whole building shakes. How many of you would like that at your next corporate boardroom gathering when you open in prayer? The apostles are in prison and an angel comes and frees them. Philip is witnessing to an Ethiopian. See, it's only in Africa that these things happen. He's witnessing to this Ethiopian. He baptizes him in a, in a little pool of water next to the road. And what happens? If you, any, any 
Trekkies, yeah, Star Trek guys, but beam me up, Scotty. As the Ethiopian comes out of the water, he's like, where's this dude? Is he still under the water? What happened? The Holy Spirit takes Philip, zaps him out to move him 48 kilometers away, and he appears in another place in Ezotus. How you'd like that anointing? Hey, there are people who've experienced that. One very reliable man who was at a conference walked into a lift, lift closed behind him, opened, and he was in China, ministering to a whole bunch of Chinese people. Why, why not? If then, why not now? Elimus, the sorcerer, resisting the gospel. Paul looks at him and says, you are resisting the gospel. You will be blind from now onwards. <laughs> I can't see. Well, that's precisely what blind means. Some of you want that gift, don't you? But friends, Philip wasn't an apostle. Mighty signs, wonders, and being transported in the spirit. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Philip and Stephen were actually two servants who helped to feed the widows. And it tells us in Acts 6 that Stephen did great signs and wonders before he was martyred. In Mark 16, Jesus says, these signs will accompany those who are apostles. No, those who believe. How many of you believe? If you believe in my name, you will cast out demons. You'll speak with your tongues. You'll pick up serpents with your hands. If you drink deadly poison, it won't hurt you. You will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus didn't just use the 12. He once sent out 72. And of all of those 72, he said, you go out, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. If we are going to become the church Jesus is coming back for, and if every member is going to see the same power that we see in the book of Acts, how are we going to get there? Would you agree it's not going to happen overnight? You're not going to just suddenly go tomorrow, lay hands on the hospital walls, and everyone walks out. Jesus could have. But what you can start doing tomorrow is asking God for opportunities. Opportunities to share and opportunities to show. Next time your colleague or someone in your social environment has a headache, can I pray for you? You know, it's, it becomes almost natural that whenever you see someone in pain, you say, can I pray for you? It's the first thing that I've started to think of, even though I didn't used to think that way. Sorry, Faith, but Faith couldn't walk into the building this morning without me saying, you have crutches, can I pray for you? Most of us would want to talk about, so how was the surgery? Did the surgeon do a good job? Was it a successful operation? Wonderful, I've heard that it works rather well. Can we change our thinking? What picture are you marinating? How many of you have the same Holy Spirit on you and in you that fell upon them on that Pentecost day? I can tell you, I only started to see these things when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, do not leave today. We want to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I want to firstly close with him saying that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you here today, you could have been going to church all your life. You could be a cultural Christian, an intellectual Christian, a Christian who just added Jesus to your life as a believer. But today you say, I want to call on his name as Lord. There's a difference. Lord means I die to live for you. 
And if you have never done that, where you've said, I choose to die, Jesus. I call on your name, not just as Savior. I call on your name, not just as ticket to heaven. I call on your name, not just because that's how I grew up. But I call on your name because I want you to be Lord of my life. Could we all stand and pray this together? Just say, Heavenly Father, I was a sinner. And while I was still a sinner, you sent Jesus. He died the death I should have lived. I died, sorry. He lived the life that you want me to live. And so today, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord of my life. If I have just believed in you, I move from just being a believer to a disciple. If I just added you to my existing life and nothing really changed, I choose now to put you in the driver's seat. I die to my own desires. I die to my own will. I die to my fleshly passions in you. And I acknowledge you as my Lord. I want to follow you. I want you to teach me to think like you, live like you, love like you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and power to give me the grace and ability to live the life you created me for. In Jesus' name. Now there's some of you where when you prayed that prayer, you just knew this is a turning point in my life. This is the first time I have done this. In my life, I don't want it to be the same. Many of you have prayed this prayer many times and you live in it. But if you are in the first category where you prayed it, and it was a time in your life where you were saying, Jesus, I need this right now in my life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands right now and lift them up high. I want to pray for you. If you are saying today, I'm giving my life to Jesus as Lord. I'm turning my back on my old ways. Not just believer. But I'm under his lordship. Just raise your hands this morning. Just lift them up high so I can see. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just raise it up high. Thank you. I want to lay hands on you. Because if you're under lordship, you're not ashamed. And you're in a loving family right now. And so if you prayed that prayer and you want to, Make a stand today and say, Jesus, I am your disciple and I am under the Lordship. I'm going to ask you to, to grab your things, get up out of your seat and come up here where we can pray for you. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, Jesus. And if you didn't raise your hand and you know you need to be here, just come on up. Come join us. Anyone else need to be here? Just come on up.
Jesus, we pray for these. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for each one of these. We thank you that today they've made a stand. They're not ashamed of what anyone will think of them. We as a family receive them. We embrace them. We stand in agreement that every assignment, every weapon, every, every part of the enemy's work in their life, it ceases today. We cut you off in Jesus' name. And we release right now the power and filling of the Holy Spirit. Just, just see yourselves being filled with this Holy Spirit right now. Fill them right now. You said that when we are born again, we are filled with your Holy Spirit. Fill them, Lord. Fill them. Embrace them now. Let them feel your love. Release your mercy on them. And I declare right now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives you the power to say no to sin and live an upright, godly life in this present age. Now, I know that uh, Zareen already did this, but I want you to just assume a pose of receiving. And just say this with me. Holy Spirit, Jesus said it was better for him to go and be with the Father so that I could be filled with you. That outpouring you poured out over those 120 disciples, you keep doing it every second of every day. I ask for that outpouring to fill me afresh. I ask for that outpouring to give me the boldness to be a witness for you. I ask for that outpouring to release the miraculous through me. You may not have seen the miraculous done much, but it can only happen if we start to step out. I receive the outpouring to fill me with power, signs, wonders, the miraculous, but also to be taught by you, led by you, and demonstrate you. Now just let him fill you again. Holy Spirit, come fill us again. 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 Give us opportunities. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to close with you saying this. Lord Jesus, give me opportunities this week to be a witness for you and to release your power. Amen. Give me my hand. Thank you, Jesus. Receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his shalom, 
his power, his grace, his peace, his boldness, and his personality as you leave this place. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week.